Today we're going to continue, really this is probably, we'll probably wrap it up this week with uh, this series on, on hacks. Remember a hack is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's a way to make life easier. And so what we have here is some financial hacks today. And have you ever heard anybody say, and I'm sure you have, churches talk too much about money? <laughs> okay. Um, well, there's good reasons for that because a lot of churches do talk too much about money. And uh, hopefully we're, we've got a healthy balance here that we want to teach the biblical principles about money and, and uh, giving and stewardship and all those things that, that are so important but we don't want to overload you with a lot of guilt. We don't want to overload you with any pressure to give. We hope that you will respond to the Lord and His Spirit moving upon you to give as He creates in you a generous heart. Um, and as you do that, we'll have to just trust God to, to meet our needs as a church body, as a spiritual family in the things that we want to do and reach out into our community, we have to trust that God moves on you to give because we don't want to go beyond that. How many of you have ever experienced or known of a church body that has gone beyond their means? And it ended up in chaos. It ended up in very, uh, uh, very dreary results because it's just violating a principle that's found in Scripture about staying within your means. And I believe that anything that we do personally to stay within our means and follow those biblical principles, we ought to be doing as a spiritual family too, right? Would you agree with me that you don't believe that? Or Okay. <laughs> so we want to stay within our means as, as you know, sometimes people ask us, um, why aren't you doing that? I said, well, we don't have the leadership and the money for it. Now, once the leadership and the money comes, then we, we, we would love to do that. But we just can't do anything, everything that we want to do at the same moment. So uh, as we make those progresses and the leadership develops and the money comes in, then we can do more. And uh, so that's what this is about today is some ways to make our... Uh, our, our life simpler in the financial realm because we're following biblical principles. Um, and I will say this as we get started with this, that I won't be able to get through all of this. I forgot that it was Family Sunday and I made a really long message. And so we'll hack it in about half and you can kind of, uh, a hack. I, I just heard that and didn't mean that. But uh, anyhow, we'll, we'll get as much through this, probably get through three of them today, and uh, you can look at the rest of it later. I think I even have the answers in your handout. If you want to take out your handout and jot down the, the answers uh, for that. I want to first preface it before we get into these three hacks with a couple comments. First of all, nearly all the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible, the writers of all those letters and books they wrote something, and a lot of them wrote a lot about financial stewardship or money, however you want to phrase this. Would you say, would you agree with me that the topics of faith and prayer are important? Okay? So the people that do these kinds of searches and, and do these kinds of counting, they've come up with 
They've done a lot of work with, especially with computers these days, they can really feed a lot of, into the computer and find out the stats on this. But there are about 500 verses on prayer. 500 verses on prayer. And there are less than 500, it's in the 400 range, in the 400 range of verses that are on, on faith. There are over 2,000 verses when it comes to money. In the Gospels themselves, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first books or letters in the New Testament, in those verses of taking them all together, one out of every 10 of those verses has to do with money. So if it's in proportion and in comparison to faith and prayer, we're looking at almost four times as much on this area that we just can't skip over and put into a, a you know, not give it attention, especially when it comes to life hacks and simplifying our lives. We want God's wisdom on that. So uh, in 16 of Jesus's 30, uh, 38 parables, 16 of them had to do with money, specifically about money. Wow. Jesus said these words, and you're probably familiar with them, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Okay? Um, so here's some reasons for looking at this. To understand the perspective of the writers of the Bible. So that we can understand how they perceived this world's stuff. And then how that understanding can help guide us and lead us into financial freedom. Now, I want to define what financial freedom is. Financial freedom is not having enough zeros to never have to worry again about finances. That's not what financial freedom is all about. Financial freedom is not our net worth. You know, it gets real quiet when you talk about money and sex. <laughs> and I think money trumps everything. Financial freedom is not our net worth. Financial freedom is freedom from, it is, freedom from excessive financial worry. And when we all want to be there, and I can guarantee you that it's possible. Because the Bible promises that. That, in fact, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about these things in Matthew chapter 6. We might have time to get to that. He says, don't worry. How, what am I going to do if I don't worry? Well, there's, there's answers for us. Okay, so uh, that's the definition of, of what, what financial freedom is. Many people have a lot of stuff, but they still have a lot of worry. So the answer is not having more stuff. The answer is having less worry, no matter how much stuff you have. And I'm not one of those kind of people that just says, you know, it's, it's wrong to be rich, it's wrong. I don't believe all that. I believe that God blesses. I, guess, I believe he pours out his blessings on us in different measures, in, in different people, um, depending on your talents and your gifts and your abilities. And, and some people, I, I'm just convinced. I've had some friends that they were just so good at making money. They're just, and God uses them in that. But they're also great, generous people. They have, 
they were, they're people with big hearts, too. So never uh, criticize or judge another person's stuff. Just look in the mirror and see what God wants you to do with your stuff. That may, that helpful, I hope? Here's a couple myths about money and about financial stewardship. Financial freedom is, is freedom from the endless pursuit of gratification for, that comes from more. You, know, you always want more. Um, here's two myths. The more that I have, the more that God loves me. That's a myth. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. No matter how much you have. God promises, sometimes we think this, God promises to prosper me without any challenges, without any tests or any temptations, and that's, that's just not true. Living godly automatically makes me financially wealthy. Well, not necessarily. Doesn't necessarily work that way. God does help us. But creating wealth takes Wisdom takes ability, takes a lot of variables that we don't have time to get into right now. I think above all, most of all, it takes a mind trained to think prosperly, to think that you can come back out of a setback, that you can rebound, that your future is bright. All those play into a mentality that I can do this, I can prosper, I can be successful. It's all important, extremely important. I want to run a flurry of scriptures to you, by you, or for you right here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Let's look at this one first. Remember the Lord your God. Let's everybody say that. Remember. Remember. You know, that's the first thing that goes when you have financial crisis is you forget that God's with you. Or when you have a lot of success, you forget that God did that all for you. And so just remember, as the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability, the ability to produce wealth or create wealth. Another translation says create wealth. So God's given you the ability. One of my favorite shows used to be, I, I don't think it's on anymore. I don't have the channel, at least that it's on, uh, Dirty Jobs. I just love that that. That show, I, I, I mean, those guys get their hands dirty, and, and, they, and they found, they've studied all of this, and that the people that are doing those dirty jobs are, are some of the happiest people in, in the world. You know, they're, they're garbage truck drivers, and they own a fleet. Of gar- you would just never know. You would just never know. There's like that book, The, the Millionaire Next Door. You just would never know because they don't, they don't have this, they don't present themselves that way, but they're happy and they're very blessed. They're very blessed. And a lot of those people have generous hearts too. Here's another scripture in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 says, Be careful to do everything written in this book of the law. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. So what's happening here is the more that you look into the Word of God, the more it changes the way that you think. Uh, remember that Jesus was a Jew, all right? I'll let that sink in. Look at Psalm verse, or chapter 1, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose delight, ever say delight? delight? 
delight is in the law of the Lord, and he who meditates, I just want you to see something here in all these verses. Something's coming in before there's action. Something's going inside to change the way that they think before. And that's what's happened to me. Jimmy was talking about the vision that, that God started to me. Something had to happen in, in me because I had gone through setback after setback after setback for 20 years. And I got so, I was that close from quitting the ministry. I was that close. I just, I can't take this anymore. And one day, I had some athletic success a long time ago. Long time ago. <laughs> but I had to go in the gym, and I just, I said, give me a basketball. This is one of my darkest days. And I was at the center, I said, just give me a basketball. And I just, nobody was in there, nobody was in the gym, and I just bounced the ball. Shoot free throws and clang. <laughs> Shoot, but just the feeling of the ball and smelling the gym. It's like, I remember. I was just bringing back successful thoughts. And sometimes when you're in your lowest point, if you can reach down deep, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I know now that I was being led by the Spirit of God. But they've done studies that if you are in a low point, if you'll go back to that day where you had experienced some success and bring those thoughts and bring, if, try to feel it again and, and live it again. And just shooting free throws and shooting shots, some, my trick shots from behind the backboard and all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, I was good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just bringing it back. I needed some confidence. And then I started to think, you know, if I can just bring that kind of thinking into what I'm doing and leading right now, it just might happen that God would help me. And you know, you just got to get to that place that I remember that God is there to help me. So I'm not going to worry about things. I'm just going to ask God to help me. And you know what? He's answered our prayers. Uh, we had some of my wife's relatives here. They had seen the building before that we started working on it. And then we got to take them through a four or five minute tour of the building now, and they said, we just, we cannot believe how far you've come. And I just have to say, I, well, it's been God's help. And a lot of people, hearts, generous hands, and a lot of help that's made this happen. And I'm just so excited. Can I just promote a little bit of a vision? I'm just so excited where we're headed. I'm really excited. You know, this isn't, this isn't the ultimate aim. It's where we're going with, with what is possible with God changing people's hearts. When I was worshiping this morning, it's like, man, my heart was being affected. Right, you? It was warming my heart towards the Lord. It's like, man, if this is happening to me, it can happen to anybody. And just think of a person who's down and out, situation, going through a divorce, going through sickness in their body, and they come in looking for some answers, and we're worshiping God, and God is interacting with them, warming their heart. They may not give up. The Holy Spirit may just get a hold of their heart and say, you're not done yet, and I'm not done with you yet. And if that happens in this environment, we're on the right track. Let's look at another one in 1 Timothy. Here's some good instruction from the New Testament about honoring God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. 
people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So godliness isn't a means for financial gain for its own sake. But it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So I want to focus for a minute on contentment. Godliness is a great advantage. But not because money starts falling in from the sky. That's not the gain that you get from it. Godliness helps you to become responsible. <laughs> All these wonderful words that our parents told us about, right? Helps you be responsible. It helps you... You know what godliness does? It, it may, I, I believe this. A, a follower of Jesus Christ ought to be one of the best employees possible. I really believe that. But when God gets a hold of your heart, it, it, there's this thing in theology. It's called, and I don't want to throw a bunch of theology at you, but it's really interesting. They've studied where the gospel has come into a foreign country or, or a, an ethnic group that is, is, is uh, way below the poverty level. They've watched this and they can study it because it's happened so many times over the years now in 175 countries. Where the gospel comes in, it brings light, brings inventions, and then also it, it's called redemption and lift. So when the gospel comes in, people are transformed, their hearts are transformed, and their prosperity level goes up. The prosperity level. And it happens with families. It starts with an individual first and then goes to the families and it affects the whole country. Isn't that amazing? It affects the whole ethnic group. And so redemption and lift is something that God does. But we keep it in balance. We're not going to God so that he can make us rich, right? He's our rich. Jesus. And so... The thing that happens is our hearts are transformed because we become responsible. We find a job. Revelation. <laughs> and then we go to the job. And we give it everything that we've got. Right? Whatever, you know, there's other scriptures we could look at. Whatever your hand finds to do, do your heart, that's from the Bible. That's not just a saying out there. That's from the Bible. So when I look at, at my job, then I look at how can I make it better here for my employer? I serve my employer as I serve the Lord. Those are all principles that will prosper and bless you. The thing that will cause blessings to be short-circuited in our lives is when we start using our mouth in ways that are not advantageous to the company that we... When you start speaking against the company that you work for, when you start speaking against your own prosperity, you're just <laughs> shooting yourself in the foot. You say, well, I just have an unfair boss. Well, yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like. But can I encourage you to do something? Take that before the Lord and pray about it. If he wants to move you, he can move you. But watch this. Watch this mouth. Because that's where the power of life and death are. And you want to be speaking life for the company no matter who you're working for. You want to speak life over your own 
your own finances and your own, you, you, you don't want to get into that negative stuff that just zaps your life. I'm going to go a little bit further with this. I just, you know, the Holy Spirit can lead us in this too. Some of you are talking bad about your own skills and your own value. Are they looking over me? Listen, you're valuable to God. And you have been gifted with an ability, skills that can be developed as soon as you start speaking right about yourself. Say, well, I just don't have anything to contribute. Well, God can help you with that. God can expand your understanding, can increase your skill level. You can be amazed at where you are in two years from today if you'll begin to talk right about yourself and talk right about yourself and just say things instead of saying, I don't have much to contribute, say, I'm learning skills every single day. And just, just look at what happens to your heart then. All of a sudden you start seeing opportunities in your work environment, whatever that is at home, that's a work environment, right? I just watched The Incredibles the other day and watched that dad. Oh, I don't want to ruin it if you haven't seen it yet. It was a great movie. I was laughing. What they did to that baby was so funny. Uh, I'm going down pig trails today and I'm wasting my time, so I better get going. All right. Here's, here's another aspect of this, uh, the second myth. The less that I have, the more God loves me. And we have this false humility. That's not true either. The less, see, God loves us regardless. So we have to completely separate that from our attitude about how God loves us. Remember the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus so what should I do to be saved? And said, well, I need to live by all the commandments. And, and he said this interesting thing. He said, he said, well, I've done that. And I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> I remember when I stole cookies. And I'm, I'm like, no way. No way did he do them all. And Jesus understood what he said. Well, he said, okay, if you've done them all, then sell everything you got and give it to the poor and come follow me. And he walked away sad. He couldn't do it. But Jesus wasn't trying to exclude him. He was just trying to point out the fact that there's another way do, about doing this. He wanted to point out the fact that he's being arrogant. And he wanted to, him to face up with his arrogancy. And here's one of the, the key elements in our spiritual walk that we come back to again and again and again. It's one that I wrestle with over and over and over again, and I'm sure you do too. It's this, this uh, uh, balance between having confidence and having arrogance. You want confidence, but you don't want arrogance. And the only way that that is cured, to stay on the confidence side that's holy, that's, God, that's, that's godly, is through two things. Humility, Right? and generosity. Those are the two things that keep us centered on God's will. So if we can stay humble and we can continue to be generous, God can bless and expand our worlds. All right. Um, are we still on? Let's, uh, 
Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 and 19. I want to read these passages here. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. See, there was that word again, arrogant. And I want you to notice that what Jesus did not say to that rich young ruler, he, he told him to sell everything because he was trying to get at his arrogance. But he did not tell him that everybody has to sell everything that they had. He didn't say that. He was telling one person that to aim at his arrogance. But these people that Timothy is writing to, or, or that Paul is writing to, and Timothy's pastoring these people, uh, leading them, he said, I want you to teach them not to be arrogant, even though they're rich. So it's not wrong to be rich. Right? Right? Not wrong to be rich. God can bless in abundance. Remember, don't judge another person's stuff. Look in the mirror and ask for wisdom to handle the stuff that God gives you. Command those. All right, I'll just tell you. It's fresh in my mind because my wife's family was here yesterday. Now, when we were first starting, we had zero, right? We had just hardly anything, and we had lots of babies. And, and we would go to St. Louis, and this still happens. Her family is very well-to-do. Uh, Uncle Craig's got, and Aunt Tricia have just a beautiful home, uh, very successful. Uh, but her uncle just blows everybody away. He was on the ground floor of Enterprise Leasing. And... He's got a home in Ladue's about a football field. I haven't got to see that one yet. I saw the one before they bought that one, and I was like, oh, my God. Now, I know you've never, been, you've never had these kinds of feelings of, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know it's only me today. But what, what, what is that striking at? What is that bothering us? It's insecurity. It's comparison. As Andy Stanley says, compare-sin. <laughs> I may have to steal his whole series. It was so good. But uh, what, what happens when we compare ourselves with each other? We, just, we feel lower, and so we try to compensate to make ourselves feel better. God loves us no matter what stuff we have. Absolutely is true. And now he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant but to put their, or, or, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is un, so uncertain because you've, you know people have, have uh, lost everything overnight. So it, it can come and it can go. And he said, but put their hope in God. 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 Can't, re, it can't emphasize that enough. Just no matter what you were going through, no matter what your job is now, no matter how unhappy you are right now or how blessed you are or how happy you are with your situation, always put your hope in God. Remember him. Always put your hope in God. And you know what? Even I, I found this. I've, I've worked all kinds. I drove a school bus for 17 years. 
You didn't hear that. I drove a school bus for 17 years. And I'm still alive to tell about it. I remember one day, I remember his name, Ryan. It was, it was, this is a great story. Ryan came, he, he was a, a, a challenged child. And he, I watched him as he, because I drove for so long, he kind of grew up in my bus and he got bigger and bigger and he started playing football and got really big. And one, but he always had an attitude and he always had challenged me almost every day. And one day he came up from behind and he was having a really bad day and he was about ready to do something to me. And I remember getting my seatbelt ready to, it's like he could, well, I was in my prime then, so I, I could probably <laughs> handle it. But I remember getting my seatbelt ready to let go of the seatbelt so I could stand up because that's a pretty vulnerable position. Down, he could just thump on you. And, uh, and uh, he took off running. I didn't realize it wasn't me that he was after. There were two kids in the back of the bus that were going to beat him up. And I just watched them chase him all the way through the neighborhood. That's all I could do that day. But uh, I did have several opportunities to talk to him. Uh, didn't think much about it. It was probably four or five years after that. He shows up at church. This church. Ryan. He says, you're everywhere. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. And you know, he kind of turned his life around from that point on. And that was Vicky DeLuca's boy. You know, it's just, it just amazing what God, God can use you in anything. And so start seeing, if I can encourage you, start seeing the possibilities, start seeing that, you know, this isn't a waste of my time. This is something that God can use. I've watched her work jobs that seemingly, you know, didn't have a whole lot to do with the church and ministry where her passion is. And she's done this over and over and over again, year after year, working jobs that didn't seem to relate. But God uses that. And I've, I've, been, I've always admired her about that. And, uh, and you, God can use you in, in great ways in those things. I better find a way to move on. I haven't even got to the hacks yet. Okay, here, here they are. We'll go quickly, I hope. Number one, learn to be content. Learn to be content. Doesn't that sound simple? That's sometimes really challenging to us. Contempt, how do I get content? Where does that come from? Contentment is something that I have to learn. And here's the hard part. I almost always have to learn contentment when I'm not content. Sense? You know, you're not going to learn a lot of your contentment when you're happy. You're going to learn contentment when you're not happy. We're having fun today, aren't we? So I don't best learn contentment when I have something that I want. I best learn contentment when I don't have what I want. So here's an, an attitude sickness. And I'll let you fill in the blank, but here, here it is. If only blank, life would be good. So that's a test for us today. If only I had this, I had that. If only I was married, if I wasn't married. <laughs> I don't think that one. Um, if only, you fill in the blank. You know, if only, 
then I'll be happy, then life will be good. Now, I want to ask you a really quick question. If you had, let's say, a thousand extra dollars a month, would life be good? Oh, come on. Thousand dollars a month more, life would be good, right? Now, the thing is, every one of us are in different places financially, and we all are saying that because I made you say it. But we're all there. If I had a thousand, it just what I'm. The point is, it never ends. Never ends. So contentment is saying, I'm just going to remove myself from that frame of reference that my identity is in what I have and what I'm earning. And I am going to find my identity in Jesus Christ and find contentment in him. And I'm going to slow down my life during the day sometime and pull from spiritual strength. Does that make sense? So I find my real identity from him. I find my real love from him and not things. Things can go up and down. Paul wrote this to the Philippians. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Philippians chapter 4. For I have learned. Everybody say learned. Look at this. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I've learned. I've learned. I've had to learn that. And how many of us, you don't have to show by hands or anything, but how many of us have, have had to learn those, sometimes the hard way, I've had to learn. Well, 17 years driving school bus were... At first, I was really happy to have the job. After the first month, I began to wonder what I was doing. But I had to learn, and it was hard to learn that. Amazon Prime shipping has... You know, this, this feature is just almost immediate. It's amazing how fast that stuff comes. And there's two-day shipping, and there's, you can pay more for more, I guess. Uh, Next-day shipping. Here's what God has. Just-in-time shipping. <laughs> you know, just-in-time. And it drives me crazy. Because I think God ought to answer those prayers a lot faster. Next day would be fine. Or two-day shipping. I'll even take two-day shipping. But it's usually just in time. The trick is staying content in the in-between period. And not only content, but staying in faith in the in-between period before those answers come. God does use that just-in-time shipping a lot. But we need to learn how to be content in the meantime. Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon when he was, had strayed from God. And uh, nothing was satisfying to Solomon during this period of time in his life. The title Ecclesiastes actually means preacher. I think it should be titled Life Sucks. Because that's what, that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. I'm serious. That's, you read Ecclesiastes like, man, I'm depressed. <laughs> You know, this is the word of God. I'm just depressed. This is Ecclesiastes this is ridiculous. But here's what he said, and Solomon said, whoever loves money never has enough. He's, yeah, okay, I'm going to put it in his words. Whoever loves money like I'm loving money is never happy. I'm, 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 life's terrible. 
That's what he was going through. He said, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Isn't that encouraging? So let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness is, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, Paul said, writing to Timothy, and we take nothing out of it, right? But if we have food and clothing, we, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're satisfied with just that, but you're content. There's a difference between the two. We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and a trap and into many foolish and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's a trap. It's a trap. For the love of money is a root of all kinds, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves. I think it's really interesting what Paul uses. He uses his word pierced. Have pierced themselves with many griefs. There's one who has pierced himself and was pierced so that you don't have to worry about money anymore. And his name's Jesus. So don't pierce yourself worrying about something. Don't pierce yourself. A lot of people have gotten legal problems because they just needed a little bit more. And then it took them into unethical practices. So if you can just remember that God loves you, that he'll take care of you. Second one. Decide to live below your means. And this is a tough one because it has everything to do with our sense of personal security. When you're not driving what you want to be driving, when your other friends and coworkers are driving something better, or living in something better, or wearing something better, or going places something better. We tend to compare ourselves. I'm getting a timeout signal. So that's as far as I can get with that. Let's uh, receive our, our communion elements and we'll take these thoughts right into communion because they have everything to do with Jesus being pierced for us so that we don't have to worry about anything.